Good morning. Am I on there? Okay, good. Well, good morning. We are so glad you're with us at South City Church. My name is Drew Klein. I'm one of the pastors here. And yes, we're in a series for a few weeks here where we sit around these tables. So this feels a little different, and it, uh, hopefully it's not distracting to you. I hope it just is enough to engage you uh, in some good conversations around the table. That's, that's why we have these tables is that this is how the series is going. I'm going to teach for a little while. We're going to talk a little bit about discipleship today. And then when I finish, I want to ask you to turn around to your table or get with a table with other people and have some discussion about what discipleship is, what it looks like. And there's, in fact, to help you with that, we put some questions on your the little table tent on your uh, table there. And there's some questions about discipleship and about the church and how we can kind of help do that together, engage each other in that way. So hopefully you'll engage in that way. Hey, we've been in this series called South City 20. We're kind of going through our vision statement in three different sections. Last week we talked about we exist to love God and all people. And uh, this week we're going to the second phrase. But before we get there, is it, can we read this uh, statement together again? Do we still have that where we can go to that statement? There it is. You've already got it memorized, I'm sure. But let's just, just for your help, here it is up here, all right? Let's read this together out loud. You ready? Here we go. We exist to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. It's a vision statement. Last week we talked about the fact that we exist. We exist because God wanted us to exist. It was out of his pleasure that he created us. He wanted us. He, he created this earth for us to, to live on, to exist. And the purpose for our existence is that he could love us. The Bible says that one of the verses we talked about last week is he focused his love on us. We exist because he wanted to love us. He wanted to be in relationship with us. And we talked about the fact that because he loved us, now we can love him. And when we love him, we also can love each other. We exist to love God and all people. Today we're going to focus on the second phrase, which is sort of how do we exist and love God and all people? How do we do that? By becoming authentic disciples who make disciples. That's how. It's not going to happen by osmosis. You're not going to walk through that back door where the vision statement is over the door and go, as you walk under, just go, oh, now I'm going to learn to love people. It doesn't happen that way, does it? We've got to learn how. How would God want us to love people? Well, we've got to find out from his word. And we've got to be uh, cared for by one another. That's part of discipleship. This time together and teaching is part of our discipleship. Your life together out there is part of discipleship. How we serve, how we give, how we love, all part of our discipleship. It's not just what we know. Uh, this morning I want us to just focus on the first half of this by becoming authentic disciples. Uh, this is not just church attenders. This is not just occasional visitors. What is a disciple of Christ? What does it mean to be a disciple? Well, literally, the word itself means learner, student, apprentice. But the difference in being an apprentice or a student or learner of Christ is a little different than being an apprentice at the, at the HVAC place or to be an apprentice of an electrician because hopefully in your job or the things that you love, you learn that, and then you've learned it, and you've kind of got your credentials, and you're good. 
What's different about being an apprentice of Christ is we continue to learn for the rest of our lives. Until we die, we can learn. But the problem in the church, and many times, is we grow old, but we never grow up in Jesus. Sometimes that can happen in the church. We can grow old and yet never grow up in Jesus. God wants us to be mature believers. He wants us to learn. Uh, but I love this word. and I, I love this word so much I wrote a song with the word in it, and then I titled the album with the word in it. I love the word becoming. Right? We exist to love God and all people by becoming authentic disciples. It just means that we're not there yet. It means that we're not trying to say any of us are experts in this. It means that we're all growing and learning together. That, that's what it means. Uh, my pastor, when I was growing up, Brother Walters, many of you know him, but uh, when I was growing up, Brother Walters, he just had this presence about him, at least as a kid. He always kind of embodied this presence of just holiness. I don't know. I can't explain it. He just he held himself. When you shook his hand, his whole hand would cover up your whole arm. It was so big. You just looked at him like this. At least that's what I, uh, step away. He just seemed other than, right? He just seemed holy. Now, as a pastor, I understand he wasn't holy, right? He wasn't necessarily holy. He was just a fallen, broken man as I am. But there was something special about him. There was something that just seemed special. But what I love about uh, the Apostle Paul is he, he makes no bones about the fact that we're all still growing. We're still learning. And you see a humility even in Paul. And he says this in Ephesians 3. He says, I'm the least of the church. Right? There's just an acknowledgement that we're still growing. And I, we don't know it all. But yet he has enough confidence in who he is in Christ as a disciple of Christ to say, imitate my life. Imitate my life. Follow me. Let's do this together. So we're, we're not all there. We're, we're all learning. We're all becoming together. The next word I want you to take a look at is the word authentic. That's a buzzword in our culture, right? Authenticity. But it, uh, it means a lot. It means being real. It means being genuine. Uh, we are what we say we are. And it's important that we as a church understand there's a reason we put that in the vision statement. Because so many churches make assumptions on disciples. Right? We don't want to make an assumption. We really want disciples of Jesus who are truly changed, who really are disciples. That is genuine of their lives, that they are disciples of Christ. In the South, you know, uh, church culture is a big deal. Uh, and I love that about the South, actually. I love the fact that, that there's sort of just this expectation in the South and Arkansas. We go to church, don't we? Yeah, we were in church Sunday. There's just kind of this uh, cultural expectation that we're kind of church people for the most part. But the problem is when <laughs> the church is part of your culture, sometimes we begin to redefine what the church means. Well, if you've noticed this, sometimes we, we define it as what we want or the peripherals of what we think church is about and we don't look at a definition from Scripture. And what we found is that can be dangerous. In fact, if you ever hear somebody say, the American church, that phrase, the American church, that phrase is usually used in a derogatory way. The American church is usually a negative phrase for this reason. We've changed the biblical definition of church to represent the American church. Not the biblical church, the American church. Let me, let me give you some examples 
of what I'm talking about. In the American church, uh, when we talk about church, we're usually thinking about a location. It's something you go to. Are you guys going to church? Hey, we got to get up, kids. We got to go to church. Here's a location. But we know from the Bible that the, the church is not a location. It's a what? A people. The church is not a place to go to. It's a people to be with. That's, that's a big deal. We need to learn to teach our kids, hey, you guys, get up this morning. We're going to be with the church. We need to change even how we say things. We're going to worship with the church, not at the church, because the church is not a place. It's not a building. It's you. It's a people. In the American church, it's usually an event. It's a service. It's a performance. It's something that, sadly, we can critique. You know, you go, we went to a movie last night to see this do-little movie about this guy who talks to animals. It's cute. But the natural response of movies is literally to leave the movie and then look at your friend or your spouse and go, well, what'd you think? When you go to dinner, at a nice dinner, well, what'd you think? I, well, I like this, I like that. And in the American church, we've taken our, our opinions and our critiques and we've moved it right over into the church. And so after church, many of us leave the church and we go, what'd you think? Don't we do this? Well, I didn't like that song. The music was too loud. The guy was preaching. I didn't like Whatever. Right? That's not the biblical church. The biblical church is not just something we receive. It's something we give to. It's something that we, we uh, engage with. The American church is mostly independent. It's about me. You walk in here and you go, yeah, I didn't like that. I didn't like that. I did like this. I don't know. It's, it's, it's not connected to other people it's often very independent the american church is a place where we hide really well in fact sadly the american church can be the place where we want to hide the most at least this is my story when i went to church i wanted to be the guy that looked the part hey man i was looking good i, I sang in the in, in youth choirs and led youth groups but my life had nothing to do with Jesus, really, apart from trying to look a certain way in the church. And it was most important that I looked a certain way in church. That is the exact opposite of God's heart for his church. This is the place where we're supposed to be authentically who we are. This is a place where we can come in with questions. We can come in with struggles. And we can be honest about it. And this week has been awful. And I don't know what I'm going to do. Pray for me. Instead, we put on the mask. I'm fine, right? You're fine. And we all leave fine when our lives are broken, falling apart when we leave. The American church hides. The biblical church confesses sin to one another, it says in James chapter 5. It supports one another. It encourages one another. It spurs one another on to love and good works, Right? It speaks truth in love to one another. That's the biblical church. The American church, sadly, is something that we can remove from our lives without a moment's notice. And listen, I'm not just talking about Sunday morning, what we do here. When you spend time in your city group, that's the church. And sadly, that experience of church is one of the first things that gets deleted from our schedules. Listen, we are busy people, aren't we? I am i got two little girls that are involved in school things and sports and friends and sleepovers and birthdays and all kinds of junk, right? You do too. 
You're busy people. You have a lot of things going. There's a lot of demands on your life. We all get it. But sadly, we treat the church in the American church like it's just one of the things on the list of things we have to do. Here's what I got to do. I got to go to work. I got to go to the basketball practice. I got to take my kid over here. We got to go to church on Sunday. We gotta... It's just this in the list. But that's not the biblical church. If you go back later and read Acts 2, look what the biblical church did. They walked life together. They spent time with each other in each other's homes. They prayed for one another. They spoke truth to one another. They served one another. They gave things of need when there was a need. That's the biblical church. And sadly, we don't value church enough that it's sometimes the first thing we delete. Now listen, I don't want to be legalistic about this. Uh, That's the last thing I want to be. But I do think in my own life and maybe in the life of our church, we could, we could raise the value of what the church means. And I'm going to get into that in just a little bit. But in the American church, it can be one of the first things we remove from our lives. Lastly, uh, sometimes in the American church, we think somebody else will do it. <laughs> if you have kids today and they're not sitting here whining with you in this building, that's because somebody else is taking care of them, Right? You're drinking coffee this morning. You're enjoying that. It's good. We're so glad we have coffee. You're drinking that because somebody else made it for you. We enjoyed worship this morning because we have an amazing team that has spent many years preparing their instrument and their voices. And all week, maybe they've been working on what they're going to do today. They had to ride to church separately, some of them from their families, so they could serve us in worship because they were serving us. And our tech team, same thing. I had a friend when Lori and I planted a church in Franklin, Tennessee. I'll never forget sitting in my living room with about uh, four couples, four of us, four couples sitting there, and they knew that Lori and I were praying about what was next for our ministry, for our lives. We didn't know. We were just, we were heartbroken and yet felt a call of God to, to do something, and we thought it might be plant a church, and we were just kind of, we didn't really want to say that phrase until we knew that was exactly what we were supposed to do, so we were kind of talking about our struggles and prayers and different things and one of the guys in the group raises his hand he goes hey let's just plant a church and I remember in that moment thinking oh my gosh that's that's exactly what I would want them to say because I feel like that's what God's calling us to do and I want them to get it and feel that too he goes yeah let's plant a church we'll support it we'll be there I was like wow I felt so encouraged fast forward about a year and a half later that guy and his family are nowhere to be found in our church plant. <laughs> and I said, hey, meet me. Let's talk and, and have some conversation. We're sitting in the car. And I said, bro, I'm, I'm missing you. Where have you guys been? What's, what's going on? He goes, hey, I'm just got to tell you honestly, we've been going to another church. I said, okay. I said, well, help me understand what it is at that church that, that you feel drawn to, that, that, that God's doing in your life at that church. Help me understand. And I quote, this is what his response was. You ready? He goes, well, I'll be honest, man. I'm busy. So when I show up on Sundays, and I, and I get there, somebody comes right in, and they whisk my kids away. Awesome. He said, I just love that. They, they take the kids away, they go do something with the kids, kids seem to like it. I go into the worship center, it's dark, I don't really have to talk to anybody. I don't have to engage with people, and the music is loud enough that if I sing, if I want to, I'm not really noticed. He said, and so I, you know, I can do that. And he said, the guy that preaches is okay, I get something out of it usually. 
And then when it's over, I can quickly get the kids and get home. And I was waiting for more. And he just sat there. I said, are you you're done? He goes, yeah. I said, my friend, what you just described to me is not the church of Jesus. You just described consumer church. What you said to me was, I don't want to serve people, but I'm sure glad people serve me. When I show up, they take my kids away, so I don't have to mess with my kids. And I don't want to think about kids because I'm busy. And then I get into a dark room so I don't have to engage people or be in family or have conversations with people because I'm an introvert or whatever the case may be. And then I can engage in worship or not. It's up to me. Again, it's all about me. See, it's all about me. The guy preaching, sometimes I get something out of it. Critique. And then I can get out and leave. He's not describing life in the body at all. He's describing consumer church completely. It's not the church of Jesus, but sadly it has become, in many cases, the American church. Am I wrong? Sadly it has become, in many ways, the American church. Here's a question I want to resonate in your soul this morning as we think through things, and in a little bit we're going to engage with each other around the tables. Here's the question. Am I an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ? Would you ask your own heart that real quick? Am I an authentic disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, how do I know that? Well, let me give you some some qualifiers that you can think through. Do I know Jesus as my Savior? Have I trusted him with all of my life? I believe that he died for me. I believe that God raised him on the third day. I I believe in Jesus. I've repented of my sin. I'm, I'm walking in him. I'm saved, right? Number two, am I growing to be more like him? In other words, is there transformation in my life? Has change occurred? Our, number, our very first core value as a church is this, transformative discipleship. When I think about my life, can I look back on when I didn't know Jesus and see a change in my life now that I do know Jesus? Is there change? Here's the second thing. Am I submitted to him as my Lord or do I still live my life the way I want to live my life? I'm not worried about what he wants. I want to live the way I want to live, and so that's how I'm going to live. No, to be a disciple of Jesus means we live the way he would have us to live. What about this? Do we just say, I love you, Lord, and not live it, or do we live, I love you, Lord? There's a big difference, friends. Am I obedient to him? And now listen, we're all on different stages of our growth as disciples in Jesus, but are you an authentic disciple. Paul talks about different levels of of growth, about this journey of our lives in Christ. Look what he says. I love this passage in Ephesians 4, uh, verse 11. He says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, that's the leaders of the church, to equip the saints, that's you, believers in Jesus in a church, that's you, the saints, for the work of the ministry. Did you know you have a ministry? God gave the leaders of the church to equip you for the work of the ministry, your ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
This is what Paul's saying. Anytime you measure something, do you measure your kids on a wall, you know, with a pencil, and you put the height in Daisy, six, Daisy, nine, Daisy, 12. She's now taller than her mom. She turns 13 this week. I don't like it. Um, but when you look at those numbers, you see what? She's growing. Paul's saying when we, we get to the measure of the fullness of Christ, is to, is the assumption is there's a measurement that we can grow in Christ. And together we all can come to this place where we come to unity and the knowledge of who he is and the fullness, the maturity is another word he uses for growth. Maturity doesn't automatically happen when you come to know Christ. You come to know Christ and then you mature in Christ. Right? There, there's different levels of growth in Christ. The cool thing about this is, do you notice the communal aspect of this text? Look, look, look at it with the communal mindset as a community. He, the apostles, uh, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints of the work of ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. That's all of us. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What level of maturity are you at? Where are you at in this journey? If you're an authentic disciple of Jesus, where in the measurement of Christ's likeness do you land? I'm not sure you have to ask your own heart of that, but I will tell you this, you are needed. Sometimes you might think, you know, it's not that big of a deal, we're going to be gone this weekend, you won't miss us. Let me just tell you, you're missed. Every time you're not here, and listen, again, I don't want to be legalistic about church attendance and things like that. That's not what I'm saying. But just know you matter. That together we all, in the work of the ministry, build the body up. It's on all of us. It's not the job of the staff and elders. It's on all of us if you take that text. You matter. You're needed. Look what uh, Peter says, 1 Peter 2, 2-5. through like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Peter's saying, listen, when we first come to know Christ, it's like an infant who's going to grow on milk. But as we grow, we're going to get to the point where the church is not a building. We are the church. We are the living stones being built up as a spiritual house. And as we grow from there, we become a holy priesthood. That's quite different from an infant, isn't it? Do you see the growth process? It's not one and done, friends. It's not I gave my heart to Jesus back in 19 whenever, back in that church or back at that camp, and I'm good to go. I'm sorry, no. We come to know Christ, and then we mature, and we grow, and we become the disciples that he wants us to be. But listen, discipleship is an intentional decision. And that's why many of us grow old in the church and never grow up in the church. Grow up like Jesus. Because we didn't make the decision to be like Christ. Jesus said in Luke 9, I say this all the time. He says, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. Take it up. Deny yourself daily. 
take up your cross and follow me. It's your choice. You have to do it. You have to make the decision. You have to make the time. You have to be intentional. You have to lead your family. You have to make the choice. You have to lead. You're the one. No one else will do it for you. No one else will do it for me. I have to get up in front of my family. I have to get up every day and say no to this and yes to this. God, because I want to daily follow you. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. And I know who I am without you. I know who I am without accountability. I know who I am without a church body holding me accountable, surrounding me, loving me, praying for me. And I don't want to be that. I want to be his. And I want to look like him. But there are no shortcuts to discipleship. There's a cost. Jesus said that. He said, count the cost. To be a disciple of mine, you have to count the cost. Christianity without a cost, a life in Christ without a sacrifice, is not Christianity. It's not discipleship. There is a cost, and there are no shortcuts. You know, I love reading from the message at times. Look at this. I love the way Peterson puts this in such plain words for us. Matthew 7, verse 13 says, don't look for shortcuts to God. The market is flooded with surefire, easygoing formulas for a successful life that can be practiced in your spare time. Don't fall for that stuff. Even though crowds of people do, the way to life, to God, is vigorous and requires total attention. Be wary of false preachers who smile a lot, dripping with practiced sincerity. Chances are they're out to rip you off uh, some way or another. Don't be impressed with charisma. Look for character. Who preachers are is the main thing, not what they say. A genuine leader will never exploit your emotions or your pocketbook. These diseased trees with their bad apples are going to be chopped down and burned. Look down at verse 24. Jesus is saying, these words I speak to you are not incidental additions to your life. They're not just little best practices for a life. This is what he's saying. They're not just homeowner improvements to your standard of living to make things a little better. Now look what he says. They are foundational words. Words to build a life on. If you work these words into your life, you're like a smart carpenter who built his house on a solid rock. Rain poured down, the river flooded, a tornado hit, but nothing moved that house. It was fixed to the rock. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, Say that again. But if you just use my words in Bible studies and don't work them into your life, you are a stupid carpenter who built his house on a sandy beach. When a storm rolled in and the waves came up, it collapsed like a house of cards. How do you really feel, Jesus? Right? When I say I want us to be authentic disciples, when we have that on our wall as our mission statement don't make the mistake of thinking I'm just saying I want you to know more stuff that's the danger here that you think I'm, we say we equate discipleship with more information I think sometimes we, we made that mistake in Sunday school if we can just know the books of the Bible if we can just know where to find those books in our but those things are important if we can just know the authors of the books if we can just know the context of when the authors wrote and what it meant and if we it's good it's good stuff but if we if we're in Bible studies and we never work those things into our lives it does no good 
Discipleship is not about just information. You remember what we talked about last week in the great commandment when Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. The mind part is only 25% of that command. (laughs) And yet we've made so much of our discipleship about this, about what we know, about what we understand and comprehend. But it's more than just cognitive. It's lifestyle. It's worship. It's giving. In fact, it's every single second moment of your life, wherever you are, it can be a discipleship moment. That's what discipleship is. And Jesus is saying, when you become my disciple, it's something you can, you can give your life to. You can plan your life on. When you hear me saying, I hope you guys attend First Principles, please, from now on, don't hear me saying, go learn some more stuff. Only learn some more stuff. No, learn some more stuff that changes how we live every part of our lives. Discipleship is not just cognitive. It is about wisdom of living. Everything we do, everything we are, can be a part of our discipleship. I want to just give you some things. I wrote down some things here about what discipleship looks like. looks like this. Disciples are people whose lives honor God by living within his design. They're obedient to his word and to his will. That's what disciples are. Disciples have families that are ordered in such a way that they honor God with the roles they've been given in Scripture. And they love Him. And they're obedient to that. Disciples make up a church, by the way, which is the pillar of truth, is what Scripture says. The church, you, again, not a building, the church, you, are the pillar of truth. And the vessel that God wants to use to make known the manifold wisdom of God to the world. Whose job is that? Ours. That's our job as the church. Disciples make up the church, which is the pillar of truth and the vessel that God will use to make known to the world his manifold wisdom in Christ Jesus. Disciples live by doctrine given in the word of God about how to direct his church and how to live our lives. Disciples are uh, are sacrificially serving one another, placing the interests of others above ourselves, spurring one another on to love and good deeds. Disciples understand that they've been given gifts, but those gifts aren't about serving themselves. They've been given freedom, and that freedom is not to serve themselves. Their gifts and freedom are to be used to serve one another, to bless the church, the kingdom, and the world. Disciples are amazing members of a community. They long to serve the community, care for the community, bless the community. Disciples are great employees who honor their superiors and serve everyone they work with. If you work under a boss, and almost all of us I'm sure do, then you serve like Christ would have you serve. If you are the boss, then you serve the people that you care for, like you're interested in what's best for their lives, as Christ is, and you serve them as Christ. Disciples are great neighbors with winsome attitudes that draw people to Jesus. We want our neighbors going, what is with that guy? (laughs) What is his deal? I know he walked through a job change, but he hadn't changed his spirit. He still loves. He's still kind. He still serves. What's with that guy? And then, by God's grace, you might have an opportunity to go, it's Jesus. It's all I got. That's the only explanation I have. Disciples are established 
and equipped to refute heresy and live lives of sobriety that have an awareness to the times we live in and the need for Jesus in our world. Disciples are people who, they understand that there's so much in the world that's vying for truth and our opinion of truth. <laughs> I want to read the second half of this passage from Ephesians 4, verse 14 and 16, the one that says that we're going to be grown up into the measure of the fullness of Christ, that one. Why would we need the measure of Christ? Why would we need that maturity in Christ? Why? Look at verse 14, Ephesians 3, uh, 4. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when every part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Why do we need to be discipled? Why do we need to be mature in Christ? Why do we need to know the Word of God? Not just for the wisdom of our lives and for our families. It's also to know that there's a lot of people out there trying to deceive us. Left and right, from the beginning of time in the garden, the snake came to Adam and Eve and said, Did God really say that? Come on. Did he really say that you'd die? To this day, the enemy has no other game plan but to whisper into the life of your kids and the life of your family and say, did God really say that? He's not creative. Did God really say that? And so we need to know the word of God. We need to be grown up and accountable to one another so that we can refute the things that are not right. And we can live in, in unity and in the truth of Jesus, we need to be established and equipped to know what heresy is, to live lives of sobriety and awareness to the times we live in. Do you realize the times we live in? Scary times in many ways, but not, not something that we can have fear in. The words of God says that Christ has overcome the world, right? We can trust in him and his disciples we learn, we grow. I also love just bring your attention to one little thing. I think it's interesting in here. Verse 15 of that scripture says, rather speaking the truth in love. You know, you can't speak the truth in love to somebody unless they trust you. Did you know that? Try it. Try to go up to somebody at a restaurant and just speak the truth in love. See how that goes for you. It's not going to go so well. You know, like, what were you thinking, sir, with that sweater and those pants? That, that's not going to go well. When you speak the truth in love, it's got to be between people who trust one another. It's got to be between somebody who can come up to me and, because I know he loves me, when he says something that's hard for me to hear or hurtful in ways, I can listen to it and go, I accept that. It's hard to hear, but I accept it because I know you love me. One of the most powerful things that has ever happened in some of my leadership growth were for three leaders around me who loved me to all say the same thing. If there's one thing I could say that you could learn, a blind spot in your life is this thing. And when they all said the same thing, because I know they loved me, I heard it. I wept because it was true of my life. But I heard it. It was truth spoken in love. 
that's what our city groups are to do. That's who they are to be. Relationships, authentic relationships, another one of our core values. That we live in authentic relationships in such a way that we can speak the truth in love. Last week we, we talked about the great commandment in Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbors yourself. But you can't talk about discipleship and not talk about the Great Commission. Matthew 28, right? Jesus says, go. Go, make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all the things that I've commanded you. Now, the church, traditionally, we've gotten the part that we need to go and tell, and, and for the most part. There was a season in the greater church for 400 years where we didn't do mission, just kind of stopped. And praise God, he, he brought some, some people with missionary hearts to help us realize, oh my goodness, when we see the word of God, that we have to go to the world. We have to go to our neighbors. But he says, go, make disciples. So we, we, we get people saved. We know what that means. We even get them baptized. But the church has not done an awesome job of teaching them to know and, and, and obey, the scripture says, all the things that I've commanded of you. That's discipleship. That's growth. That's continued growth in Jesus. The thing about discipleship is as we grow in, and become the disciples God wants us to be, part of our discipleship is making disciples. I've used this example before, but um, when you become a teacher, how many teachers do we have in here? You're a teacher. Yeah, two at least. You guys went through... Um, a six months of an internship or a, where you had to teach. What's that called? Student teacher? Yeah. They, they weren't officially teachers yet. Part of their becoming a teacher was teaching. Part of us becoming disciples is us discipling. It's the same thing. God's called us to be authentic disciples who make disciples. It's part of the process. It's part of our growth in Christ. Paul put it this way to Timothy in chapter 2. He said, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses in trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You see the pattern Paul's trying to show to Timothy? I taught you. Now you teach men so that those men can teach. Do you see that? It just keeps rolling. Lori and I are praying for our girls to be discipled to Jesus. That is our main job as parents, to disciple them to Jesus. And it's hard in this culture. That is our, that is our goal. And you know why? So that when they grow up, they can love Jesus. With all. We pray that's, that's what happens. And then as they love Jesus, they make disciples of their kids. And so that their kids then make disciples of their kids. And it just continues on. Our job as disciples is to make disciples. We're going to close, but I want to ask you a question here. If I were to, if you're a man, so we'll just use the, the male example here. If you're a man, and I were to come up to you this morning and bring somebody you'd never seen before, and I introduced you to a friend of mine, and I said, hey, man, you, this guy, we've got three months to spend with him. I need you to disciple him. Would you know what to do, men? Would you know what to say? Would you know what questions to ask? 
Would you know what scriptures to show? Would you know how to come alongside him and help? Could you, could you make a disciple with that, that guy? Could you get him started in three months? If you can, praise God. If you can't, that's why we exist, to help you understand what it means to do that. That's what First Principles is for. You can take First Principles Book 1 that Scott Mesker is teaching, and you could walk somebody through the basics of what discipleship could look like. We want to be disciples, but it's not enough. We have to make disciples. Same for you ladies. Would you know what to say? Would you know what to do? Would you know how to walk that process through? Friends, there's 600,000 lost people in central Arkansas. It's time we stop just coming to a place and saying we're a certain thing and not walking it out as disciples of Jesus, making him known because people are dying and going to hell every day. When's it going to move us? When's it going to change our hearts that we say, Lord, it's not enough to, to know some right things. Discipleship is about doing some right things, moving my life from what I want to what you want so that people can know Jesus as their Savior. God, give us your heart. Friends, it's why we keep talking about first principles. First principles is, is a, a Bible study, if you will. It's a, over 13 books. And the hope for us is that if you go through first principles, you'll have a pretty good understanding of discipleship. It'll take you about two and a half years. But you know, the older I get, I look back over my shoulder and I go, that was two years ago? Right? That was two years ago. I came to Temple in October three years ago. That was three years ago? It seems like yesterday. Two and a half years will go by like that. What are you investing your life in? You'll spend a lifetime, it seems like, learning how to be whatever it is that you do for a living to get your degree, to get your certification. You'll spend so much time and energy and effort becoming that. And then when it comes to Christ, we go, I'll show up for church maybe. What? The most important thing that we do is to know Christ. It's why we exist. May we put the effort forward to know him, to love him, to walk in him and to be the disciples he wants us to be. We're starting our leadership cohort. It's on your card. You can sign up for it. We're going to go through a Pauline course. Those of you that want to go deeper and deeper into uh, church planning and what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, um, I want to remind you of that. It's one of the ways we're making disciples and disciple makers. As we go to our tables for a few minutes here, we're going to take 10 or 12 minutes at our tables. Service is not over. Okay, please engage with each other. But let me just remind you, I think there's four types of people in the room today. You're either a spectator, you're just kind of sitting here going, what is this about? Who are these people and what are they talking about? Right? Or you're a student, you're a disciple of Jesus, a learner. And if you're a student, I pray that it's turned you into a sent student. Because it's not enough to be a disciple, we have to make disciples. And if you don't fit in any of those categories, maybe you're just stuck. Maybe you're stuck, and it's time to re-engage with Jesus. God, make me a student. Teach me who you are, and give me a passion and compassion for people who need you. Help me to learn, and send me out. That's our prayer. Pray with me, would you? Jesus, we love you. 
God, thank you for an opportunity to, to spend some time talking with one another, processing these ideas and your word. Move us to obedience. Move us out of the American church model into the biblical church model where we do what we say and we live what, we, what you want us to be. Where there, there's lights or sound or air conditioning or building, doesn't matter, God. We're going to come together if, if in our homes if we have to. We're going to walk life with each other. We're going to grow in you. We're going to become who you want us to be. And we're going to be sent out to make you known because that's what you've called us to be and do as disciples of Jesus. Lord, change our hearts. Radically transform us and move us into obedience as your disciples. And teach us, oh God. Teach us today. Bless us as we get around these tables and we discuss these, these questions in Jesus' precious name. Amen. you got ten minutes.
this on? <laughs> We're getting close here. A few more seconds. hearing the uh, din noise of, of you speaking and sharing and talking. It's wonderful. I love hearing the body of Christ processing these ideas, these concepts. Beautiful. How many of you got past question four? All right. Question five? Six? Oh, overachievers seven? Oh, my overachievers, no doubt. Y'all didn't process enough through those questions. I'm just <laughs> Hey, listen, here's a question that was on the card. I want you to take this away with you this, the, today. Can somebody grow in Christ apart from the church? Can somebody grow in Christ apart from the church? I've honestly come to this conclusion that you can't. <laughs> All of these letters in the New Testament weren't written to individuals. They're written to churches, written to people. And even as we read through that, Ephesians 4, and I'm about to read something from Ephesians 3, hear the communal nature of growth together. Let me, let me read this over us, and then I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go in just a minute. But This is Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. At some point, we're going to put this on our wall back there. As a reminder, I just love this verse so much, this, this set of verses. Paul says to the Ephesians, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. I'm, he's praying for the Ephesian church. From whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints. You notice that? Strength to comprehend by yourself. Nope. Strength to comprehend with all the saints. Love that. And I lost my place. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Not just cognitive. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That is, that's our prayer. That's our heart. That's our desire. That together we are grown up into Christ. We don't want to just grow old in church. We want to grow up into Jesus. That's our prayer. And that's the prayer. We borrow Paul's prayer to pray over you today. May we be rooted and grounded in him. Thank you for joining us today. Listen, we've, uh, like I said, we've got first principles going on and we've got our cohort starting. If you're interested in that, sign up online, uh, if you will, or come talk to me. And uh, thank you so much for being a part of our day with us. You know, I just want us to, uh, would you stand with me and, and uh, just ask for us to just pray a prayer together? And then we're going to go.
Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for our church, which is these saints, these people. Accomplish your will and your way in us, Lord, as your church. Help us not to, to judge or define what a church is based on what our culture says. God, help us define it based on your word, only your word. And may we become the disciples you want us to be from that same descriptor, God, from your word. We love you so much. Help us to leave here becoming who you want us to be, making disciples. And Lord, as we discuss this next week, it'll be for your glory and for the good of our city. We pray it in Jesus' precious name.